We have been in a series called In Gloucester As It Is In Heaven. I'll, I'll do it one more time. In Gloucester That's right. And it comes from, and in a few weeks we're going to be actually going through this, when Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray, and one of the lines in the Lord's Prayer, which I'm sure all of us know, whatever church or whatever background, I doubt that anybody got away from not hearing the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) And we say, on earth, as it is in heaven. And what Jesus is trying to teach us, he's trying to teach us that, you know, The way that God rules, the way that God heals, what God wants for us in his perfection, guess what? That's not just something that you sit and you wait around for and then it'll come in heaven. But it's actually something that you ought to seek out right now. You ought to pray for heaven to break into this world. And we say in Gloucester because you know what? There's not enough people crying out for Gloucester. And there's not enough people crying out specifically for our lives and for our streets and our blocks. Who else is going to pray for Powell Street, for Market Street, for Warren Street, for Hunter Street, for Crescent Park, for up and down Broadway? If it ain't us, we want to pray We want to pray for wherever we are, whatever town you're coming from. We want to pray for God's kingdom to break in. Because you know what? Hell is sure breaking out and loose. Hell is sure breaking out and sure breaking loose. And we want to be people who listen to Jesus, who listen to his teachings. Now, we are going to go, and we have in the past, we... We did a series called Jesus Keeps It Moving. When we look through Acts about how Jesus worked through the Holy Spirit, right? And how he moved through the early church. But right now, we are looking more at what it looks like for Jesus to be king of our lives. Versus what it looks like for him to be the one who heals our lives. But you guess what? The two... The two go together. We want to separate the two. We want to separate the two. And there are are Christians, um, maybe they call themselves liberal, right? Who would say, you know what? Jesus being God, Jesus rising from the dead, Jesus healing the sick and casting out demons. I don't know all about that. But you know what Jesus taught? He had really good ethics. And if we just all loved each other, everything would be great. And then you got conservative Christians, right? Who are like, you know what? I like the Jesus who casts out demons. I like the Jesus who heals the sick. I like the Jesus who forgives my sins because I had no other hope. And you want to know what? You got to take both. (laughs) You don't get to divorce the two. You don't get to have Jesus as your teacher and not your healer. And you don't get to have Jesus as your healer and not as your teacher. And tonight we are going to dive into, we're, we're, we're diving into this new section on the sermon. So up to this point, Jesus has sort of been talking about how to passively be righteous. In other words... This is what it looks like to be righteous. These are the qualities that you need to have. 
Blessed are the poor. Blessed are the humble, right? This is what it looks like. When somebody asks you to go a mile, a thousand paces, you know what? You look at them and you look up at them and you say, I'll go another thousand. We've learned a lot about how we ought to be. And Jesus is going to spend a little bit of time talking about what you ought to do. Here are righteous practices. And so for the next three weeks, we're going to look at prayer. We're going to look at giving tonight. We're going to look at prayer. Robert Hernandez is going to talk about that. And we're going to look at fasting. And Jesus acts like his disciples are going to do all three. Like he doesn't, he doesn't say, well, when you give to the poor or when you pray, like if you're into that kind of thing. You know, I feel like a punk every time I have somebody who, like we just had our bishop, and I say bishop out of respect, not that we're like have that structure, but the pastor who planted Camden, whose church planted ours, his wife needed a liver transplant. You know, and it's like to just to not offend people. I'm like, well, sharing it. If you pray, <laughs> would you pray for this transplant? But Jesus didn't didn't go to his disciples like that. He wasn't like, if you give, <laughs> if you pray. <laughs> Jesus says, when you do this, do it with the right motives. So I, we're going to talk about giving tonight, and I can't think of a topic or a practice that I have more problems with than this one. I can't think of a topic, and what I mean is there's so much unhelpful teaching about giving that floats around churches. There's so much abuse There's so much that's said about giving, which is reckless and wrong on TV, on the radio, in the pulpit. And Jesus here, he talks about our motives, right? And he says how not to give more than he says how to give in in these four verses. And some of the things that he attacks, it says, He says, don't give out of the wrong motives. Don't give for for vanity. Don't give so that everybody can just see you for what you did, right? Don't be the one who who stands out, claps, turns on the PA, says, I'm going to make an announcement. I'm about to give. I got the live stream. All right, in 10 minutes, you're going to see me give to God. It's going to be awesome. There are other bad motives. There's fear. You know, I was just in a church not that long ago. Pastor said, if you don't bring the tithe, your life's going to be a mess. There's like a fear. I better give. I don't want God to be angry with me. There's also pride and greed. Pride and greed. So there's this idea that, well, if I sow a seed, then God will return it to me. And so 
you can see in the church greed all day long. You can see people giving because they want to get rich. And even though, and it it breaks my heart to see this. Because you know what? It's not like like only a few people get sucked up into this. So many people get sucked up into it. And not just greed, but there's pride there. I mean, there's a reason that people send me text messages. I gave this money to whatever charity. Like, oh, okay. Maybe because like I'm the pastor, I got some kind of special hookup with God, but I don't. I'll, let, me, let me be real with you. I got no different hookup than you've got with God. But there's this sense of, I want to give, it feels good. And it gives me a sense of worth. It, it, it makes me feel good. I just want to be really clear. Christians are really good at ignoring Jesus on this teaching of giving. Like really good. And if we ever have a building of our own, I hate to break your heart, but we will never have we will never have windows with your names on them. We never will. We'll never have a step or a brick with my name on it or with Joe Hall's, like Joe Hall served every week <laughs> without crying. You know what I mean? Like that'll never, that'll never happen. I don't understand why we don't apply this teaching at all in our churches. It seems as though we look at this and we actually get ideas for how we can mess up. <laughs> it's like we like look at what the Pharisees are doing and we're like, oh, that's a good idea. Actually, we need to up our game. Maybe next time when we present whatever wing of the church, you know, we should have the, you know, the NBC, CBS, <laughs> Action News all come and, and show us dedicating this new wing to the church. We need to have the right reasons. So often we've been used, and so often we, we're used to bondage and abuse in religious teaching, that, and, and we don't realize that the kingdom way, the, the kingdom way is liberating. The kingdom way isn't about your pocket anyway, it's about your heart. It's about your motivations. So there is a right reason for giving, and we see it here, right? So that you would have a reward with God. When you give and give to the poor, there is a reward that comes from God. So we need to be really careful here because a lot of times, like I was telling you about the two kinds of Christians, the one kind that says, I like what Jesus has to teach. Like, if we just followed his teachings, everything would be cool. And then there's the other kind of Christians, like, I like what Jesus did. And you know what? You got to take it all together. You can't divorce the two. Well, here's another side of the churches. There's the Christians who say, people are basically good. And if, and, and if they would work hard, and if they would just do good things, you know, God will love them. And God will accept them. And then there's the others who are like, you know what? People are basically scum, worms. 
And there's this parody site called the, the Babylon Bee. And we see in the Babylon Bee that it says Santa got converted this year to Calvinism. Okay? If you didn't know, that's the tradition I come from. I come from the people are basically worms camp. <laughs> and what he was trying to say is, it was a joke, right? Santa became a Calvinist. So Calvinist, so, so Santa is looking at all of humanity, and Santa puts every single person on the naughty list. <laughs> so every person this year is on the naughty list because they're all totally, totally depraved. But when we read the scriptures, when we read the scriptures, we see that God actually loves it when you do good things. God loves it when you do good things. So we need to be balanced here. We, we need to hold on to the reality and the truth that no one is righteous, none, none seek God. We need to hold on to the truth that our best will not impress God, that our best will not twist his arm to give us his blessing, that our best isn't enough for our salvation. But at the same time, God is not like the Grinch of heaven. <laughs> he looks down on each and every one of you. He knows you're a sinner. He knows you should be on the naughty list. But guess what? He is like a father. So I, I've shared this example before, but it's still, it's still relevant. I, I remember when our kids first started walking. But before they started walking, most kids, what do they do before they walk? Crawl, right? Now, when I saw my kids walking, I mean crawling, when I saw Sophia crawling, I wasn't like, what is that? Can't you walk? What's wrong with you? Not at all. But as a father, I looked at her, I picked her up, I gave her all kinds of kisses and rewarded her for crawling. And whatever practice it is, or whatever righteous quality it is, what, if it's being pure, it's controlling your tongue, whether like today it's giving, whatever it is, when you make steps, when you crawl to God, it's not that your crawling is going to earn you a place in heaven. <laughs> it's not like God's going to be, I'm not like, I'm not like, wow, Sophia, I've never seen anybody do that. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But God loves you. And he loves to see every step you take in his direction. Every step. So we need to hold on to this reality that God rewards those who give. He rewards those who give. And this is in a specific context. This is those who give to the poor. So we got to keep some of our stuff between us and God alone. Jesus said just a few breaths earlier to let your light shine before men. Let them see your good deeds and worship your Father in heaven. So there is throughout all of scripture a sense in which we want people to see what we're doing like, I have somebody writing an article about the Thanksgiving meal we had. I want the town to read about it. I want them to see 
what God is doing. Right? I want, I want people to see. But we have, it's all about motivation. Is it to glorify us or is it to glorify God? And some things, some things, just to keep our hearts in check, some things need to be on the down low. No one needs to know some of the stuff you do for God. It's a reality deep in our souls. Do you know about this reward from God? See, I don't know about you, but like, I wouldn't be myself. I wouldn't be me. I wouldn't be how God called me to be if I kept everything that I ever got. (laughs) You know? I, I know some of you know what I'm talking about. Like, you just are free with, I'm, I know you guys, this is a generous group, <laughs> amen, who, who open up their homes, who lend out what they have, who lend out their car, who spend time with people, who pursue people. And I wanted you to know that, that this is a reality that we live out of. This is something that we all have to remember, that this is not just about being good people, but this is about a worshiping our Father in heaven. And for some of us who are on social media, um, let me give you a warning. Make sure the best parts of your life aren't out there. Recording things zaps all the joy out of it. You know? And it makes us voyeuristic and exhibitionist where we're comparing our lives with everybody else's. We're looking through and we're scrolling down and we're seeing how everybody else got this, we got that. Then we try to like show us something with a better filter and we're like, oh, okay, how good our lives are. And it's, it's, it is no, there's no end of happiness in that. Let's not forget that the best parts of our lives are the parts that we really shouldn't share, Right? Whether that's laughing like crazy around the dinner table over some dumb thing someone said. Whether that's, you know, when you're having sex with your spouse. One of the greatest things, right? You don't share that. Whether that's seeing a friendship formed and they like move into a spot where they're like your best friend and you didn't look for it, you didn't expect it, you just started clicking with that person. Sometimes we get this provision from God, God just provides us with something. Nobody needs to know about that. Nobody needs to know about that. God took care of you. He knows about that. You know about that. That's enough. So we aren't going to cover all the stuff that we have to teach about giving, but I do want to, I do want to look at some, some things that are, you know, commonly thought of in terms of giving real quick. And, and one of them is, what about tithing? What about tithing? For first of all, let's remember that this passage Jesus is teaching is he's talking about the poor. 
He's talking about giving to the poor. He's not talking about giving to the church. But what we need to remember about tithing is that, see, tithing was part of the taxes that the Old Testament people of God had. And what they would have is they would have two tithes a year that would go to the temple. And then every three years, they'd have another tithe that would be collected. And it would, in effect, be about 26% of their income would go to the temple. But the temple was much bigger than just, like you might be thinking, like, the temple, but a tenth of all the people of Israel were of the tribe of Levi, and they weren't given any land. They weren't given a land. They didn't have. They weren't. They didn't have another job. Their sole job was to take care of the poor, and to run the worship of God's people to protect and take care of the temple. And so all God's people would come together, and they would take these offerings. So really, when we're talking about tithes, you know, if you want to be a good tither, you got to give 26% of your income. Sometimes when we talk about tithes, we forget that we're living in the New Testament under Jesus' kingdom of grace. We forget that we're not in a theocracy. We're not in an agrarian society. I used to, I used to live, for four years I lived in Africa. And we would have, it was awesome. For church, people would bring their tithes. And it was very much like the Old Testament because it was still an agrarian society. And so what you'd see is people walking down the aisle with goats. Walking down the aisle with big bowls and big bags of beans and rice and vegetables and stuff that they grew. And they would put it on the altar because they didn't live in a cash society. And it makes, and, and you understand that the Levites didn't have land to dig, but their work was to take care of the poor, and their work was to take care of the temple, and to make sure that the worship of God was done right. And so what would happen is these, these back in the day, people would come and they would take the food, they'd eat it, they'd share it with the poor. is a biblical baseline for generosity. But we see the the New Testament expands it. I just want you to get this picture. Back before, like back in the day, like 100 years ago in Rwanda where we served, the majority tribe, about 80% of the people were of one tribe called the Hutu. And they would have to give the Tutsis two days of their week. And they only had five days in their week. (laughs) They didn't have a seven-day week. So they had to give two days out of five. And if they didn't do this, the 20% Tutsis, they were the ones who had the cattle, they had the milk, they had the meat, and they had the military experience. So they wouldn't be protected. They wouldn't get the meat, and they wouldn't get the milk. So they would, for two days, they'd go out and they'd make milk for the You know, so it was like a feudal system. In the same way in the Old Testament, when one king would conquer another, what you'd have to do is you'd have to give a tithe. And you'd have to give a certain amount of time in service to that conquering king. 
And we see that. You see that Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek. He gives a tithe to this guy after he beats up ten armies with just him and his people. And what you see in the Old Testament is that the tithe had to do with subjugation and loyalty. And God's people understood as they were under the law that everything they had came from God. Everything. And they had to put aside 10% for the temple, then 10% for the poor, then 10% every three years. That they were not their own. They were not on their own. But the New Testament takes us a bit further than that. That's a beautiful thing. Listen, it may not sound beautiful, but I'd rather be subjugated by God, (laughs) conquered by God, than subjugated to my sin, to my habits, to myself in this world and its darkness. Let's read from 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 10. I don't don't think we have the words up. I'll just read it for your hearing. The point is this. The person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the person who sows generously will also reap generously. Each person should do as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or out of compulsion. Since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having something you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now the one who provides seed for the sower and bread for food will also provide and multiply your seed and increase your harvest the harvest of your righteousness. So what is God going to increase? What harvest? What harvest? Harvest of our righteousness. Does that mean you're going to get a BMW? Probably not. (laughs) But that's a better harvest. Let me tell you, if you feel like, listen, I'm fixed income, I'm drowning in debt. I hate sermons on giving. It just reminds me of that situation that I'm in. Let me tell you something. You can be thin in your wallet, but fat in your soul. You can have that wallet, it don't have nothing. But if you give of what you have to God, God looks at you and these words are true of you that he's the one who will grow your harvest of righteousness. And we see here that Paul directs us in these three ways. You see that we are called to give generously, we're called to give cheerfully, and we're called to give consistently, not under compulsion, not just like someone preaching, 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 you're like, oh, I better give. No, you set a certain side every week or every month or whatever your situation is, and that's what you do. And you know why you should do it that way? Because if you don't do that, you'll never give. (laughs) You just won't because you're like everybody else. And and we got to do that with all of our life. We should not be spending in our feelings. You know, we shouldn't just be 
doing anything just in our feelings, just as the wind tosses here and there. And if I got a little bit, I'm going to go nuts. And then I'm going to get credit. I'm going to get a tab at the bar. And I'm going to get credit at the corner store. No. God wants you to give consistently and cheerfully and generously. God doesn't need your money, but you need to give God your heart. And when you do that, money's going to follow. It just is. So we are no longer bonded slaves, but we are called friends of God. So the law was like training wheels, right? And so we still talk about 10% because it's a great place to get to and then grow beyond. But it's like training wheels. And for some of us, it's like the boot, you know, that they, that they put on you when you park too long in the wrong spot and they boot up your car. <laughs> and you're like, I can't ever do it. And, you, and you're looking at it completely wrong. God wants your heart. God wants your heart. We do see in verse 10 that God will provide. God will provide and meet our needs. I can't tell you how many times I've experienced this. Do you know the only cash miracle? Who knows the, the only New Testament cash miracle? Now, if you listen to TV, you'd think that there were like, that was like the main thing Jesus came to do. If you listen to, if you listen to TV preachers, you would think that like Jesus went around and was constantly giving financial blessings. Now there's, there's provision, you know, the fishermen are out there and they fish, all, they get all these fish and, you know, they provide from the, a kid's snack and he provides 5,000 people a meal, right? There's all kinds of provision. But you know what? The only cash miracle is when they come up to Jesus the Pharisees, who didn't like Jesus very much, and they reminded him that it's time to pay your taxes. <laughs> and they didn't have the money. Because Jesus' followers, guess what? Shocking. Jesus' followers lived on wick. They lived on welfare. I'm serious. We know that Jesus walked around with his followers. You know what they did? They walked around, and even on the Sabbath, they would pull the wheat from the corners of the field because in the Old Testament, it was against God's law to harvest your entire farm. You had to leave the corners unharvested so that the poor of the land could walk around and grab some food. So Jesus was there all day long in the wick. I hated that. When our, <laughs> I hated going to the wick office. I mean, talk about soul draining sitting there all day long. So Jesus wasn't balling. And, and they would walk around, they'd get their food, they'd grab it from the corners of the field, they wandered around, the people would be hospitable to them and give them nights to stay in their homes and feed them, and then they'd wander off, and he said, the Son of Man has no home, no place to lay his head. And you know what? Jesus tells his disciples, go, go fishing. <laughs> and they pull in a fish and they cut the fish open. And guess what's inside the fish? 
exactly what they need to pay their taxes. I've had that kind of stuff happen to me. I remember one time we, I, was in, I was in school. I was studying the Bible. I was in Bible school, and I needed like, I didn't know how much I was going to need, first of all, because we hadn't done all the financial aid stuff. It ended up being like $1,200 and some balance. I don't remember what it was, like forty-some, $1,240, something like that. And just a week before the bill came and the financial aid stuff worked out, we sold our car and it was to the dollar what we needed. Like to, to the dollar. Every single pay period, it's Monday. Me and Dylan look at the bank. We pray. I don't know how we're going to get paid. Do you understand that, like, pioneering a, a church from, from nothing in Gloucester City ain't the most lucrative way of living? <laughs> it, it ain't, like, the, the greatest way to make money? And yet, God provides what we need. And sometimes what we think we need is more than we need. Hear what I'm saying? And if we've had to lower that number a few times. <laughs> But it's always been enough. I can tell you, and I'm sure if we spend time, we could all share stories where God has provided. And here's the thing. The old missionaries used to say, if it's God's will, it's God's bill. If it's God's vision, it's his provision. He will provide for you when you're in his will when you're living the generous life that he's called you to. Amen? Let me pray for us. Father God, thank you for your word. God, we pray, Father, that we would be people who give with the right motivations, that we would not, on the one hand, think we're impressing you, or on the other hand, think that that giving doesn't matter to you. You celebrate, you are excited You sing over us. You love seeing us grow in every grace, including the grace of giving. Lord, we pray that you would be with us. You would provide us. I know that in our community, Lord, we have many who are struggling. I pray, Father, that you would bless us, provide for us. There are those waiting on disability. There are those waiting for a raise in this room. There are those who are waiting for an opportunity in our community. Lord, provide that we would flourish. Bless us, not so that we can just be blessed, but bless us so that we can be a blessing to those around us. Amen.